Hall of Famer Whitey Ford now on the field, pleading with the crowd for for some kind of sanity. Uh-oh, and a barrage of pretzels now knocking Whitey unconscious. Wow, this is uh, this is a black day for baseball. Good morning, and welcome to episode two sixty-eight. <laughs> yes, two sixty-eight. Of, effect, of effectively wild, the daily podcast from BaseballPerspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller, Ben Lindbergh. Ben, you told me you were on a train from Boston. Were you a bus from Boston? A bus from Boston. Did you come? Were you were you at the Boston Red Sox baseball game? I was not. I was at the Saber seminar. I see. Yes. And How was that? Are you, are you going to talk about that, or do you uh, want to banter about it? It's not my topic. Um, Let's banter. Okay. It was. It was. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun two days, full days of presentations and discussions with baseball people, mostly analytics stuff, uh, but not entirely. There were a lot of Red Sox people there, player development people, amateur scouting people, pro scouting people. John Farrell was there. Um, Brian Bannister spoke, uh, so there were a lot of interesting guests, and there were a lot of our listeners there. Uh, probably more more of our listeners concentra- concentrated in one one room than I've ever seen before, which is nice because I always think when we get all these emails that it could just be one guy with a with a lot of email accounts. Uh, I'm never I, I never totally believe that all those people are are individual people, but I met several of them at one time this weekend, uh, and they said that I sound more enthusiastic when speaking to a room of hundreds of people than I do when speaking to you alone in my apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, how was Bannister? Uh, he was good. He was, you know, I guess he talked about what you would expect him to talk about, just... Uh, I mean, he was very frank about his limitations as a pitcher, which is not really something you're used to hearing from a professional athlete or a former professional athlete. And uh, all the things that we knew about his career and how he realized that he couldn't throw all that hard, so he had to do different things to try to compensate for that and throw different pitches and develop a cutter and uh, try to to fine-tune his movement using pitch effects and, and all this interesting stuff that you don't usually hear from pitchers. And he was very open and honest about not being that great at baseball, uh, but managing to to make it to the majors anyway. Um, and he, he seemed to stress that for some guys, it could be a good idea to do something risky that could hurt them in the long term. Uh, he he had a serious shoulder injury that that ended his career. Um, doctors told him he would have a five percent chance of coming back from it, and he didn't even bother to try. Uh, but he is he's happy with the the trade off that he made. He he realized when he started throwing the cutter all the time that that could potentially lead to injury, or or he thought that was the case, and uh, maybe that is what happened. But he feels that. If he hadn't done that and taken that drastic measure of just totally changing the way he pitched, he never would have even made it or lasted five years in the majors. Uh, so he is happy or says he's happy. Um, and he made $5 million. So that's not so bad. And did anybody talk about clubhouse chemistry? 
Uh, it came up a bit. Just someone asked. Uh, there was no presentation about it. Someone asked John Farrell about it, um, and he uh, he he said it was kind of a chicken and an egg thing. Like he thinks it's real, but it's hard to say whether it's just winning teams have good chemistry or or teams with good chemistry win. Um, he did talk about defined roles in the bullpen uh, in a little. He was he was a bit more emphatic about that, and he said that no matter what anyone tells him about numbers, and he knows the percentages of you know how many, what the conversion rate is for for a three run lead and all that sort of thing, and all the things that we write about closers and setup men and relief roles that he will always believe that uh, it really helps guys to have a defined role and to have a a set closer um, just to. To minimize the uncertainty, like if you're going into a test uh, in school, then the more you know, the more comfortable you feel, the less uncertainty there is, the better you'll do. And he feels that it works the same way with with bullpens and and relievers knowing their roles. Although I feel like maybe if you just redefine the role so that if it's the closer and you just tell him that he's going to come in whenever the most important situation is in the game or whenever you think it is, then... Maybe that would just be the new expectation, that it wouldn't be the ninth inning. It would just be whenever there's a jam. I guess there, there's inherently more uncertainty about that than there is when you, you know what inning you're going to be pitching in. But I don't know. It seems like it's still sort of a role. It's just a different way of, of conceiving that role. It seems that that uh, I agree. It seems like that role would be clear enough to the closer. But then the, there's a cascade effect where then you don't have the setup man in his eighth inning role mm-hmm. and the seventh inning guy in his role mm-hmm. and maybe the loogie in his role. So, you know, you could maybe make the case that you don't get quite the roles for everybody else. But, yeah, I mean, it, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. It, seems, it certainly seems like uh, like if your role is to be our most important guy and get our most important out, that that would be a role that people would embrace. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Farrell was really good and impressive and was was pretty open about certain things like uh so, someone asked him whether he thought jose iglesias's hitting was a fluke uh and he said oh yeah <laughs> so just <laughs> <laughs> kind of surprising that he would be that open about it but he he basically said that they thought that, that they sold high on him um <laughs> so that was that was fun to hear Groovy. uh what do you want to talk about uh, I guess uh, sort of Xander Bogarts and young players. Okay, and I'll talk about Clayton Kershaw. So uh, since you talked for a little while just now, should I should I go? Sure. Um, so uh, I just wanted to revisit because we we very very briefly batted around uh, Clayton Kershaw's Hall of Fame odds mm. a few maybe weeks or months ago. And I just think that you drastically, you in particular, I don't remember what I said. I'm sure it was reasonable. But as I recall, you drastically undersold him. And I just wanted to see if you wanted to to reconsider uh, uh, this. Because, because Kershaw is having a, I mean, he, you know, he, I, I wrote a uh, lineup card entry uh, a few weeks ago that probably, I don't know, probably a lot of people didn't see. Um, but it was about uh, how Kershaw had sort of, broken through this parody of pitching that had taken hold over the last decade 
And basically, when it, anytime you sort of go through like play index uh, queries and and sort of look at statistical leaderboards from our lifetimes, you basically find that there's four guys who are uh, you know arguably all of all four of them. I think you could probably find somebody who who can make the case that they were like the greatest pitcher of all time mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Certainly, maybe top ten. And those four are Pedro, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, and Roger Clemens. And they're just so far ahead of everybody else. And, you know, they were all pitching concurrently, so it it sort of dilutes the impact that Mm -hmm. any one of them had. But basically they all won, you know, on average they won like four or five ERA titles and and four or five Cy Young awards. And um, so, you know, since then... There's been really nothing of the sort. It's been basically a new guy has won the ERA title every year, mm-hmm. and a new guy has won the Cy Young every year, um, and so we've had like kind of this whole generation of of like Mike Messina's, where there's like a little black ink, and there's like a maybe a little hardware, and I mean very very great pitchers, Hall of Fame worthy pitchers, guys like Halliday and and Verlander and Santana and um, Lincecum, Lincecum, yeah, and. Um, and but but no nobody who's been truly elite, and Kershaw is is such a tough Hall of Fame case to project because it seems to me that he is right now he has uh, broken through he is better than any of those guys um, that I just named or Felix or anybody else mm-hmm. he's better than any of those guys really ever were mm-hmm. but he's also only twenty five and. Uh, so, like, I honestly don't know whether uh, he's already like kind of punched his own ticket to Cooperstown at this point. I mean, he's gonna have he's gonna have three consecutive ERA titles. He's gonna have three consecutive WHIP titles, and he's gonna have Cy Young, second place Cy Young in a in a three year stretch. Now, if he he does have to keep throwing innings from from this point on, like he can't, he can't retire with eleven hundred innings, but. He's, it seems to me that like he's almost to the point where he doesn't really need to do anything else. He just needs to kind of hang in there as an average pitcher mm-hmm. for another 10 years, and he might already be there because this peak that we're seeing is really special. And right, mm-hmm. I, I feel like right now it, people are like, like this is, I don't know. I mean, Kershaw is, has sort of taken over baseball. It's mm-hmm. been an amazing thing, right? Yes. So do you want to yes. reconsider? <laughs> uh it would help if I remembered anything about what I said last time. Well, you said he had a less than 1% chance of making the Hall of Fame, as I recall. And I said, Ben, that's I absurd. That. And you said, no, I don't care what the stats say. I hate <laughs> I hate baseball, yeah, I think is what you said. That sounds like me. Um, <laughs> no, I think you said, I think, if I recall, I think you said something like 25% or, or 20, some, maybe 20 to 35, somewhere between 20 and 35. Uh-huh. I I, I mean, he's, he's yeah, he's incredible right now. Uh, he is just by far the best pitcher in baseball. And, and yes, he, he's having a season that is on par with all of those pitchers that you named. Um, but, you I mean, you mentioned Johan Santana as, I did. as the example of, I know. of a guy who... who shouldn't have said him. <laughs> you shouldn't have said him. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's just another guy who if you if you look through his age 20 I mean even even like through his age 29 season uh or or 
yeah, through his age 29 season, he had gone. Cy Young finishes 7-1-3-1-5-3 from from age 20 or yeah, age 24 through age 29. He was incredible every year. Now, he never, I guess, uh, no one of those years was quite as good as the year that Kershaw is having right now, Um, but pretty close. And... Uh, I, I I haven't looked at all the defense independent stuff because Kershaw has he's been a, a low BABIP guy before he probably just is a a low BABIP guy but but like extremely low this year right I think last time I checked um, I mean he has a a sub two ERA uh, and he's not that much better than he's been. Over the last couple of years, I, I don't think he, I mean, he's he has a he has a 273 BABIP in his career, and yeah. it went from 2009 to now. It went 276, 279, 274, 271, and then this year 234. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, that's uh, pre- this is probably not not his true talent. I would guess his true talent is some some mix of of his last three years, which is incredible. Um, but, but probably, yeah, but, yeah, uh, but partly park aided. I mean, if you're looking at, yeah. when you see his black ink, I mean, he's got, right now he's got, he has about a, uh, about the Hall of Fame average for black ink right now. He's 48th all time in black ink at the moment. He's got, I mean, when you look at some great pitchers, like Blylevin basically led the league in, you know, three categories in his career, five if you count innings. Mm-hmm. And Kershaw's already, like, blown past that. And you look at, like, uh, you know, Felix Hernandez basically has led the league in, you know, like two or three categories in his career. And Jack Morris, like two or three categories. Mike Messina, like one, maybe two, if you count innings. And then here's Kershaw, and, like, just his whole page is black. But, you know, that is that is park-influenced. Park mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if this is the first year that and The Dodgers probably, have had pretty good defenses the last few years. Yeah, and so then this is the year that, that really, like, kind of blows everything out of the water, but if it's just a BABIP thing, then it's just a BABIP thing. Yeah, uh, and, I mean, there are no no warning signs. He's never been on the DL. He wasn't he wasn't overworked at a at a young age. He was pitching in the majors at a young age, but, but pretty, pretty conservative handling. Um, didn't go over 200 innings until he was 22, and even then just barely, so... There's no no reason to to worry about him more than anyone else really, but um, I, I mean the the Santana case is still very much a possibility for him, um, and I don't know what the what the odds of that are, but I mean Santana had the same sort of stretch of dominance, and then he just got hurt and was done. Just that was it. There was no ten years of league average. There was just nothing. Um, so I don't know how high I would go. I mean, we we talked about Trout's chances recently, and you wouldn't go as high for Kershaw as for Trout, right? You were very high for Trout. Yeah, certainly Trout is a much better, yeah. I would say, much better bet. Right. Um, so I don't know. I I guess I would go higher than, than 25 if that's what I said, but but not that much higher. It's just it's not not quite enough innings Yet, I don't think. Not quite enough seasons, not quite enough innings where I'm comfortable putting him in right now. 
All right, so a uh, few things to weaken my case. Uh, one, there, there, he's seventh all-time in uh, baseball reference war through age 25. Mm-hmm. And of the seven above him, number one is Burt Blylevin, Hall of Famer. Number three is Don Drysdale, Hall of Famer. Number two is Hal Neuhauser, mm-hmm. who's a Hall of Famer but a Veterans Committee guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at his career and – he basically had a Kershaw-like run from 23 to 25, mm-hmm. and then he, you know, he basically you know, had a had a couple of okay years after that, and then he was, let's see, after from the time he turned 30 on, he pitched uh, 300 innings, so of league average ball. So, mm-hmm. so it's from 30 on, all right. So that's kind of like what we're fearing, and I think if Kershaw did that, then. It was sort of disputable at this point whether he could get away with that. Yeah. Uh, so those are you have the three Hall of Famers, and then number four Dwight Gooden, terrible precedent. <laughs> number five Frank Tanana, mm. terrible precedent. Number six for uh, Brett Saberhagen, so so precedent. I mean Saberhagen is you know with a better narrative could have been in, but um, you know not great. So mm-hmm. uh, so three of the six aren't in, and uh, Kershaw's Baseball Reference comps, which are not, you know, particularly statistically rigorous, but they're kind of interesting nonetheless. Um, the similar pitchers through 24. Uh, number one is Vita Blue, who actually that kind of makes a lot of sense, and Vita Blue didn't make it to the Hall. And number ten is Dontrell Willis. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, yeah. So, so I think some some pessimism or. Or caution is is still very much warranted, I would say. Um, does the fact that see Kershaw strikes me as the, one of the things I love about Kershaw is that he does he does, he just seems like he does everything well. Like he's mm-hmm. he seems like the Joey Votto of pitchers, mm-hmm. um, where you just feel like he's completely in control of of every action and he knows exactly what he's doing and and you know like he's got basically he is the Yadier Molina of holding runners on mm-hmm. um, and you know he just seems smart and in control and I don't know if that's basically an illusion that that does it I when I see a guy like that I think oh, he'll age better because he knows what he's doing he'll adjust as needed but I, I don't know if that's an illusion and really like all of this stuff is basically out of his control it's either going to be his elbow holds together or it doesn't and his shoulder holds together and it or it doesn't mm-hmm. yeah uh, <laughs> I mean that that seems to be it. I I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I, I can't imagine. I mean, is is Santana in consideration for you based on his peak, or is is he just out of the discussion now because he has no no tail end? I think he came up just short. I think he was like one or two years away. Uh huh. Um, but he's just just short. It's it's sort of distressing how close he came, but I don't think he's there. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't, it's hard to imagine, uh, a pitcher that I would give a higher percentage to than Kershaw, but, but even so, I feel like there's a pretty low ceiling on the percentage that I would give any pitcher because there could be a, a catastrophic injury that could just end it all, uh, yeah. at, at any time. Yeah, it's. I mean, so Kershaw won, is going to win three straight ERA plus titles, and like I said, Cy Young second place, Cy Young, and Santana had won three straight ERA plus titles and won Cy Young third place, Cy Young, um, and the third place he should have won. That was the Bartolo Colon year, mm-hmm. um, and you know led the league in strikeouts three times in that stretch, and led the league in innings once, and so yeah, you're right, you're right. 
<laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Sorry to be so so depressing. No, no, okay. I'd rather just okay. I'd rather just celebrate Clayton Kershaw instead of talking about the chances that that he'll be done after age 28 or something. But there is that chance. No, we need to right. We need to we need to talk through this anxiety that 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 we always feel underlying every every baseball game. So it's good. It's good that we talk through that. All right, go ahead. Uh, okay, so Sander Bogarts, uh, Alex Spire reported at 4 o'clock this morning uh, that he would be called up today, uh, that he will join the Red Sox for their road trip west. Um, so this is another young, highly touted player coming up, and we've talked about this uh, recently, and it seems like we've we've acknowledged that there is a trend towards younger players or younger stars these days i feel like we've just kind of said that that was true um no i did i did research for uh the espn article i actually did math so what it what remind me what you did uh i looked at um i looked at proportion or not proportion percentage of warp yeah uh by age level yeah uh, relative to the entire league. So basically the percentage of the entire league's warp that had been produced by, I think the number I ended up settling on was like 27 or younger, but uh-huh. I actually did it for like, I, I did 23 and younger and, and 25 and younger, uh-huh. as I recall as well. And I, I, I don't think I ended up publishing those, but uh-huh. I looked at them as well. And we were seeing, at least in the, uh, I guess I had gone back about 11 or 12 years uh-huh. and we were seeing peaks okay yeah so so yes if you if you go back that far uh then yes certainly so i i did the same thing this morning because i was thinking about writing something about bogarts and yet another one of these young players coming up at uh at an extremely early age and so there is uh as you say this is kind of a, a recent peak or or less Last season really was was a recent peak, uh, and I did I did percentage of work produced by players twenty five and under, and then also twenty two and under, um, and I kind of I looked at pitchers, but also looked at batters separately because uh, pitchers might be a little different in that teams are worried about abusing them at young ages, so maybe they're they're not having them pitch as many innings, and maybe that could could skew things a little bit. Um, but just looking at, at batters uh, and the percentage of, of 22 and under, because it seems like so many guys like Trout and, and Harper and Machado and Puig uh, and all these people. And, and last year was was high. Last year was like 8.3% was, was batters uh, 22 and under. That's percentage of, of batter warp. Um, wow! Wait, wait, wait! Eight point three percent of batter warp. Yes. Was batters twenty two or younger? Yes. That's incredible. Incredibly high. That's incredibly high. Well, right? I mean, it doesn't that seem incredibly high to you? Twenty two and younger. It seems incredibly high, and it it is incredibly high if you don't go back. It's not it's not like all time high. Like something is happening that has never happened before. And it means that baseball is different than it's ever been. If you if you go back um, if you go back like to the the late '90s, uh, mid '90s, late '90s, early uh, last decade, it was very low. It was like one percent, two percent, 
three percent, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And and Zachary Zachary Levine wrote a thing uh, before this year about kind of the opposite of that: players thirty-seven and older, and how that spiked uh, at that same time period. And you can blame that on PEDs if if that seems like a, a logical thing to you that 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 kind of screwed up the aging curve that we've traditionally seen and enabled these players to stick around a lot longer and uh, didn't didn't leave spots for young guys. Um, or maybe teams didn't rush to promote those young guys because they figured they'd be productive until they were 38. Um, but if you go back before that era, it starts to look uh, not completely atypical. It's still it's still high. And and by the way, this year it's lower. Uh, this was as of a couple days ago. It was 5.9, um, so down from last year. Really, with Puig, yeah, Machado, which, I guess, uh, Trout, Harper, and yeah. is Myers twenty three or is Myers twenty two? Myers twenty two, right? Uh, let me see. I mean, Harper's been hurt, so he hasn't produced know, all that he, much. He, he, um, yeah. yeah, Myers is twenty two, uh, but yeah, it's it's down, which is wow. is surprising, but it's down. Uh, so I I looked for the the highest percentages ever or at least since 1950, which is what we have. And last year was was the fourth highest percentage. So there were three years. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Yeah. Are we, should I just guess? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Until I get all four of them. I have like eight <laughs> spreadsheets open, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying I'm, to, so I'm, you, can, you can guess. Yeah, I, I'm totally kidding about guessing. Oh, okay. It, <laughs> it would be absurd. But <laughs> I want to guess, I, I would like to guess one year. Okay. Um, I will guess, uh, I will guess set, uh, 70, uh, like 70, uh, 76, 77, 77 is right after last year. That is fifth all time. Okay. Uh, all right. So good guess. Um, 77. Yeah. And I have the list of, of players who were young 77, not really, not really a lot of guys who turned into all time great players, but. They were very good at young ages that year. Um, Andre Dawson is really the only... Well, no, Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray's there uh, in the top 10 also. But it's like Chet Lemon, uh, Rupert Jones, and then Andre Dawson, Gary Templeton, Willie Randolph, uh, Eddie Murray, Jack Clark, Ellis Valentine. Uh, Robin Yount is uh, down a bit. Um, but the the top Three that were higher percentages than last year were 56, 64, and 73. Uh, so, so I'll go in, in reverse order. Uh, so, wait, 56, 64. So, 64, yeah, 64 is a big one. Right, okay, well, so, so anyway, 56, so, 64, and 73. So, 73 uh, was 8.3%, so just barely higher than last year's percentage. Um, and that was Cesar Cedeno. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Burroughs, Buddy Bell, Gary Matthews, mm-hmm. Dave Roberts, Rich Coggins, Daryl Porter, Greg Lazinski, Milt May, Bob Coluccio. Uh, so not not the, not a Hall of Famer <laughs> in the bunch. No, not the biggest names there really. Um, you go down a bit. Yeah, it's like Bill Madlock and Dave Parker and Dwight Evans are down there. Um, but yeah, no no Hall of Famers in that bunch. Uh, 1964, you get Dick Allen at the top, uh, who probably should be a Hall of Famer, and 
then it kind of it kind of drops off again. It's Boog Powell. Wait, Fergosi isn't Fergosi yes, on there? Yeah, Boog Powell, Jim Fergosi, Jim Ray Hart, uh, Bill Frian, Tim McCarver, uh, Tony Conigliaro, Nelson oh. Matthews, Bob Bailey, Ed Cranepool. Um, that's the top. Not, not a Hall of Famer <laughs> not, in the bunch. No, not all that. Not all that distinguished. Uh, yeah, and go down a little farther. You get Jimmy Wynn, um, Bert Campanaris, but but yeah, no no particularly impressive names below Dick Allen. Um, and then 1956, if I can find my spreadsheet. Okay, so here you get some pretty big names. Uh, so 56, you get Al Kaline who was 21 that year and produced almost eight warp. Uh, Frank Robinson, number two. Hank Aaron, number three. Uh, so K-Line Robinson, Hank Aaron, and that's ages 21, 20, and 22. And then Luis Aparicio is number four. So not a bad top four. And then Rocky Calavito, Bill White, and then Roberto Clemente. Uh, oh, my word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Don Drysdale was 19 that year. Bill Mazeroski was 19 that year. Harmon Killebrew was 20 that year. Uh, Brooks Robinson was 19 that year. Um, so that was kind of an incredible year. Uh, Do you think anybody was writing trend pieces about <laughs> it at the time? I don't know what 1956 was like. I don't like when you go back to the Google News archives. There's there's so limited that yeah. you can never really find all the good stuff. Yeah. I wonder if there this was like a big trend piece about like young ball players and how baseball has changed forever. I I I'd like to think so. I I don't know uh, what the pre nineteen fifty status quo was, so I'm not sure whether it would have seemed as unusual then. But the the percentage uh, was, gosh, it was really high. It was eleven point one percent of batter warp was produced by. By batters 22 and under that year, uh, and really a bunch of inner circle all-time Hall of Famers, and I don't know uh, other than that, you know, being a a clean game at that point or as as clean as baseball ever has been. Um, I can't really think of any any trend that was was around in 1956 that would explain why there would be a a great crop of young players just like there would be in 2012. Uh, so I don't, it seems like sort of just a, a cyclical thing to me where every 10, 20, 20 years or so, there's kind of a, a great crop of these young guys. And it, it seems like last year's crop certainly has more potential to be like the 56 group than, than the 64 or 73 group. Um, I don't... I don't know whether I'm saying that just because I'm a person in 2013 and I don't have the the perspective that I do on 64 and 73, but uh, but I, I don't know whether it means anything other than just a, a bunch of these guys happening to come together at the same time. Um, I mean, that's 56. That's like it's like 10 strong Hall of Famers just at the top of that list. Who were all 20, 21, 19. Um, so I think it, it seems even more extreme in comparison to the PED era, if you want to call it that, and, and what seemed to be a, a really low valley in these percentages, but not quite as, as crazy when you take away that era and look at what happened. 
before then. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't know whether to read any any special significance into what's happening now, or whether it's just a a nice wave of young talent that's happening to crest at the same time, and we should all enjoy it while it while it's here. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. By the way, the the, the pitcher percentage in 56 was really low. (laughs) Um, It was 2.7% 22 and under in in that year, uh, which is, which is really low. This, this year it's 3.9, which is not particularly high either. It seems like there's more, looks like there's more variability uh, from year to year, just kind of scanning that list. So it's a it's a historic time. I don't know whether it's a meaningful time or just a thing that's happening, but it's fun either way. All right. Um, so we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, don't forget to email us for the Wednesday show podcast at baseballperspectus.com, and we'll do this again. <laughs>